God. <laughs> it's just, this is stupid. <laughs> I'm already, I'm already regretting this. <laughs> Do you have any, any, anything else to add, Fancy Alice? Oh, get your, get your foot off the power button, please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hello and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and & Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaign. Today is a very special bonus episode as I am joined by Jacob Votes. I don't know if there's a job title or a, a title that we should use for you in general, maybe... Fancy Alice's Caretaker. Fancy Alice's Caretaker, maybe Meme Connoisseur, or my fiancé and partner. <laughs> How are you doing? I mean, babe? certainly, certainly, uh, fiance is secondary to you know caretaking for Fancy Alice every day. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, uh, just for context for the listeners, so Fancy Alice is Jacob's cat, which is a whole story we do not need to go into right now because we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. First of all, how are you, dear? Everything going well? Oh. I thought you said you were just going to talk the whole time. I didn't realize it was a conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Everything's mm-hmm. everything's going well. Playing a lot more golf because I can't do anything else. Yeah, so in case people haven't realized, Jacob is American. I don't know if anything gave that away. I don't know. I think yeah. it would be pretty subtle and hard to pick up on. I think so. So Jacob, before we begin, what is your experience with uh, D&D in general? Have you always sort of played it or have you sort of come into it recently? I guess I had played it a little bit in high school, like once or twice. That would have been three, five, just like a couple little times that I just joined in on on some other people that I knew session. Mm -hmm. Um, And then played fourth edition once or twice. Uh, When I was on camp staff, we tried to start a game one summer, um, and then it didn't really pan out. And then didn't play until I was studying in England and we started that campaign with the Quidditch people. I don't know if that was a success. We took like (laughs) a month and a half to do what should have taken like a session and a half. No, babe, that that set that because we played the Lost Minds of Thandelver. Yeah, I know. It took us like we started mm. and when i we when i left which mm. is like a month and a half maybe two months after eh, no you were it was there probably it was probably that. like you know but it was yeah but we only played for the last well we probably played for the last three months but we were only playing every other week mm-hmm. so like six sessions mm-hmm. um and i think when i left we had just finished clearing out the goblins uh yeah, really early on yeah yeah like the very first thing yeah. that you do second if you end up just ignoring it and going to Fandolin and then being essentially told to go back and yeah, find backtracking uh gundren yeah. that, um, that's interesting because that that session the the goblin session was my very first D session that's yes. I sort of first did it. yeah sessions plural we took a long time <laughs> for those it, yeah well that that was i mean obviously we'd met through quidditch and stuff but D D is something that we did together um just sort of before we started going out dating and stuff. So, so yeah, so D&D is quite important to both of us. And obviously now you are running like three campaigns, right? Yeah, so pretty much immediately after I got back from study abroad, I more or less never played again. 
because I I would play at the game store, but I also was um, like the backup DM for the game store for Adventure League Nights. And then and then that turned into, you know, sort of a 50-50 split there. Mm-hmm. And then I started up my own group with my own Quidditch friends. And then, then I had like a summer that I was on an internship. Mm-hmm. So we played online and I did get to play for the beginning of that year at a game store around where I was at interning for. And then I ended up running a group because they needed more people to run stuff. And then the next two years at school, I had that other group, the Quidditch group kind of dispersed because people graduated and we just didn't have time. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was still playing at the game store, but I was still backup DM. So it was like a 50-50 split most of the time, depending on how many people showed up any given week. And then I started up a new group and that group's still going online, kind of. It's it's lost a couple of people and gained a couple of people. So it's it's a pretty typical different group now <laughs> as far as as far as like group dynamic goes. Mm-hmm. And then when I graduated and moved out, started up a new group and then started an online group with some other uh kind of quidditch friends, but also just people I knew from from high school, longtime yeah. friends. So yeah, so now I have I have three and if any of my friends ask to join, I have to just tell them no because all the groups are basically at six players. So I don't want to go above that. I don't get to play anymore. I just run. So what was it like being a adventurous league DM? Obviously, it's very specialized modules that come out. I don't know the process at all. So, if you can... so I mean, like they're they're interesting modules. It was chaos a lot because like I wouldn't know sometimes like I would get the module eventually I just had the DM like after the first couple times I had the other DM just email me all the modules so I could sort of read through them and kind of know you know what was going to be happening in case I was was running one but like we had like when I first started playing at the game store you know maybe we had eight people you know so we only had one group and once or twice there were like six people who just showed up out of nowhere who wanted to try and so one of the other guys would go and DM for them. And then that next year, uh, we we had like eight to 10 people who were pretty consistent, like probably eight, 10 people, but out of them, like eight would show up every week. But, you know, and um, it was pretty consistent. So we were one group and then there were maybe 20 other people who would just sometimes six of them would show up sometimes you know, four, sometimes all 20. And so they were another group. But if we had like 16 of those people show up, I mean, you just can't run a 16 person group. Right. And so, um, and so then that's when I would have to be the extra DM or if we had eight of them show up and then the other DM just wasn't there, Mm. you know, um, sometimes he would be, sometimes he wouldn't, you know, he was pretty good about communicating beforehand. Um, but not every time. So sometimes I would show up and I would just have to have my backpack with all of my DM stuff. And if I played, I just pulled out the PHB and my character sheet and some dice. I was good. And if I was DMing, then I had all of the other books that I might need. And, and I had printed off copies of the modules. So I kind of like knew what was going on. Although, although second semester, the group that I like was a player and we sort of continued on to older modules that were higher level that were just kind of more fun you know the dm had read through the like the new release ones it was like ah these kind of suck i don't want to do them they're not going to be super enjoyable mm-hmm. let's do something else uh, and then the other group was continuing on to that one or they were they were sort of starting over because there was a big turnover and so they would start over 
not at level one, but like maybe I don't know what level they were. Maybe they'd go back to like level three and sort of start over a little bit because the people wanted to try new classes and stuff. You know, they were new to D and D, whereas the other group of people had been playing a lot longer, and so they kind of wanted to just play characters to a higher level. So it was it was chaos, both as a player and as a DM, because like as a player, you get to the yeah. point that you're like, well, we have ten of us at this table. So combat's going to take forever. We don't really need much more damage, you know? Like, we kind of have every rule filled. So then you just, I'm just going to mess around. So then you end up playing, like, a wizard that never deals any damage or something, you know, just Mm -hmm. for fun. And then as a DM, you know, suddenly, you know, it's it's like, oh, we have 12 people at this Mm -hmm. table because we only have one extra DM. So there's, you know, the other guy didn't show up. So I have 12 people to DM for, which is a lot. So it was just, it was chaos, but it was fun. I mean, you know, um, you get a lot of people who are just trying it for the first time. You've obviously ran a lot of D&D, like you said, like you've not really had a chance to play, you've only played one shots and stuff, but I think you've run a yeah, lot of I have materials. I have 500 hours on Roll20, and that's really in the last, like, That's more years. recently, yeah, I'd say, yeah. yeah, but I want to know, like, because obviously we've spoken about it briefly, but you, you have run more published materials, so like Wizard of the Coast or actual modules and stuff, would you ever, would you ever run your own homebrew stuff, or have you homebrewed anything? Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I'm doing for my, two of my three campaigns right now are my own stuff, I mean, sometimes I steal things from other campaigns, but, um, but they're all my own design, they're set in the Forgotten Realms, because I didn't want to make a whole new world and it was convenient and they were pre one of the groups was already campaigning in in the Forgotten Realms that just transitioned it but I don't know I would but also a lot of the pre-made modules are fun they're good I mean the one that I'm running that's pre-made right now is Dungeon of the Mad Mage um, because I didn't want to go through the process of making one for I wanted to just do a dungeon crawl and have one that would go all the way up to like 20th level eventually and you know who knows if we'll actually play it long enough to get there but um in the future I mean if like one of my groups sort of if we reach a conclusion to the campaign one of the ones that I'm doing from scratch one of my Akink ones Hmm. you know I probably would run just a pre-made one again because if you have three I I certainly wouldn't do three campaigns with all of them being homebrew stuff yeah, I mean, you know, I have, I have a job, I play hockey, I golf, that takes up a lot of my time right there. Uh, I spend time Got with Alice. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of time. <laughs> um, you know, and somehow I got to try and squeeze a couple minutes a day in there to spend, uh, you know, talking to you. Oh, um, thanks. So, thanks for scheduling this in. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> so like, you know, so it takes, it takes time. Yeah. Um, I find myself stealing maps from other places a lot and repurposing them mm. because it's super quick. It can be also because I'm bad at making maps, designing maps, but, but the other part is it's just easy. You know, you find a, yeah. find an image of it online. And then I have so many of the books where I've ran so many, I sort of know the map where I could think, Oh, you know, would be a great cult hideout is this cult hideout from princess of the apocalypse. Mm. Boom. Done. And it gets you a feel and it gets you a feel for, um, in this area of this adventure, you know, it's a party of for designed for four players of seventh level. And you go, well, I have, you know, five players of seventh level. So it's, I need it to be, or six players for me. It's really always six players of seventh level. So it's going to need to be harder, but it, you can sort of reference some of the enemies there and see what's like, I don't want to go below this and get a feel for, mm. is this challenging? You know, like what would be a sort of considered a fair, or maybe you don't want it to be super hard. So you kind of just say, yeah, I'm going to leave it as is, mm. you know, or I'm going to, I need, you know, so this is what I've got, but I'm going to change it. I don't want a bunch of orcs, but I can find something that's equivalent you know, or whatever. So, so it can be nice to steal maps, but ultimately it's easy to run a, a pre-made campaign, you know, yeah, uh, you'd yeah. still read ahead and do this stuff, but it's nice. If you're, if you're busy, just it to have be, it all there. Yeah. Yeah. It could be nice to just have it 
and certainly with the online stuff, if you're playing online and you spend the money to buy it, like on Roll20, for instance, you know, boom, then all the lighting stuff is in there already. Mm-hmm. And all the monster tokens are in there. And, you know, it's all set up. If you yeah. make it yourself and you're playing online, you have to. You know, you have to make a map regardless, but it takes more time inputting sure. the map. And then if you want to have the dynamic lighting style stuff in Rule 20 or whatever you're using, if it has lighting stuff, potentially, I know in Rule 20, you have to have, um, you have to put all those lines in sort of to denote the walls separately. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, that becomes, you know, more work. That so pre-made modules, especially if you're playing online and you can buy it, you know, in a package that's, you know, it's pre-packaged and ready to go. It makes it really nice. Before we sort of move on to the main thing, you obviously you mentioned a few modules there, which is under currently obviously playing through Dungeons of the Mad Mage, which I have played in as well. And I, I've really enjoyed the very, the briefest of glimpses I've seen of it. But I, want, I kind of wanted to know, is there a particular favorite module that you refer to? Is there a particular one that you like looking at or you like reincorporating into your campaigns or just like reading about? Well, I find myself incorporating right now a lot of Princes of the Apocalypse, which is a, a pretty good module. Um, I tried running it with one group before, and they weren't—they didn't have a lot of buy-in. They were like, well, we don't really care about this cult stuff. So then we transitioned to Tomb of Annihilation. So I tried, you know, I incorporate a lot of that right now just because it's all with cult stuff. And, and one of my groups is currently, at the beginning of it, they were doing a lot more cult elimination kind of things, but they've sort of moved away from that. But I don't know. So mostly I've used that a lot recently. But I find myself like I find myself a lot actually looking up old modules like three, five or even before that. You know, um, I have I have uh, the one group that's doing some cold stuff. Now they're sort of trying to take on the Zentarum and sort of destabilize them. And um, and so they're they're over by um, Darkhold, which is the Zentarum keep after Zentil keep was destroyed. And they wanted at first to try and like attack it, which I knew wasn't going to be a good idea because it was going to inherently be, I mean, they were way too low level, but you know, you could find old modules or old, um, in that case, I don't think it was a module. It was some other book, you know, they used to have really a lot more books about just the lore in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I bought the three, five forgotten realms campaign setting book, which is, you know, a huge resource that I use for the world. Um, because it doesn't just focus on the Sword Coast. It has the entire world, you know, Thay and Schultz and everywhere else. But then you want to know specifically, you want to know more about Thay? Cool. And, and like it lands over there. They have a whole book just for that, the uh, Unapproachable East. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to know more about the Anorak Desert and the people who used to live there. They don't have a book specifically for that, but it's included in Lost Empires of the Forgotten Realms or something like that. You know, it's like they had a lot more books to do the lore. Yeah. And to do stuff. So I find myself like looking up a lot of old and then some of their modules, you know, covered things like that. Or even some of these these other books had like example encounters. That one with the Lost Empires has like an example encounter with Netherese people from the City of Shade. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, cool. You know, I'm going to use that in one of mine. They're heading to the Anorak Desert. So, you know, it lets you, it gives you something there. So like, I really find myself looking at a lot of older mm-hmm. books because... You know, they have a lot of extra stuff. They have a lot of lore that's useful in designing the stuff. And, and you know, it's trying to sort of keep it within the realm of the Forgotten Realms and what it's supposed to be like. I think that's one thing I've discovered through playing RPGs in general is that once you've got a system down, regardless of how complicated it is or, or how, how easy it is to remember, more and more people, I think, do want settings that 
inspire them for the stories. So like you said, all these different, you know, forgotten places in the Forgotten Realms. Um, you know, for me, it's like I enjoyed reading up about sci-fi stuff uh, and re more recently looking at like Call of Cthulhu stuff, which again, I, I know doesn't seem very like original or anything like that for, for most people who play RPGs, but actually I find it really new because I've never grew up reading these things. We're going to talk today about something that you and I have in common, which is watching D&D streams or at least listening to them on and off. I will say we're definitely not up to date on any of the ones we've been listening to. But no. we're going to talk about Acquisitions Incorporated and specifically uh, their sort of chapter on company positions in franchise. So I wonder if you can just sort of summarize what Acquisitions Incorporated... Ugh, I can't even say it. What Acquisitions Incorporated... Oh, my God. I just restart the podcast. <laughs> well, what about... Can you can you say uh, literally? No, no, I'm not saying uh, you can't do that. Not on my podcast. You can't. You can't just. I'm gonna. I want to do it on your podcast. Fiona always. No. Whispers. Fiona, I like to do online pub quizzes as well, and uh, and she always has to read off the questions. And it turns out, for being a native English speaker, <laughs> she knows very little about pronunciations in the English language. One such word that she struggles with is literary or uh, literacy, uh, but especially literary. She just always says like, look, I can't do it under pressure. It's not, <laughs> yeah, the pressure of just reading off a question to me. We, we uh, are going to talk about Acquisitions Incorporated, there you go, and basically sort of discuss one of the main sort of features of it. If you've watched any of the streams or heard about it, they have uh, these things called company positions. So Jay, I was wondering if you could just sort of briefly summarize what Ack Inc. was, a brief sort of history of it, and what you sort of know about this. So it started off, I don't remember what year, with Chris Perkins as the DM, and it was um, Penny Arcade people as the players. So it was um, Jerry Holkins and Mike Kerhuick, and then Scott something played Benoit. I don't remember his, his last name now. Yeah, I can't remember either. And so he he actually wasn't a Penny Arcade employee. He just like shared an office space with them, and you know they knew they had known him for forever and stuff. And so they were playing. It was when Fourth Edition was coming out, and um, Wizards wanted to sort of have a way to introduce it and have something to sort of hype it up, right? And maybe you know get it out there and, and sort of as an advertising thing, but also you know something to engage the three five players because if you know anything about the history you need to, you know that a lot of three five players did not like fourth edition they just kept on playing three five and then you know maybe now some of them play fifth edition but for the most part they've continued to play three five or, or potentially move to pathfinder yeah. which is essentially just three five under a different Same. name a with a few changes open. but so they started up this podcast and they would play at you know, in-person sessions at PAX. And that's really just what it was. It started off, it started off as a podcast and then it transitioned to, you know, just those first few episodes to sort of get it going. And then it really just became more or less just at PAX and things like that. And so they played fourth edition. I don't know if Scott had ever played D&D. &D. I know Mike had never, he plays Jim Darkman. So Scott played Binwin Bronzebottom, who has since left the show. Mike played Jim Dark Magic. He had never played D&D before, I believe. And uh, Jerry plays Omendron, who's like the main, essentially, they're all sort of equal, but but really he's like sort of the main guy, which makes sense. Penny Arcade is his, you know, company, him and Mike. Uh, but he's like the main, sort of the main guy. And he uh, he has been playing, I think, for a long time. I mean, I know for a long time. I know he played yeah. at 3.5 at least. I think, I assume, I know he's references. I think he's referenced back to like second edition before and stuff. He's been playing for a long time. And then of course, Chris Perkins is the DM and Chris Perkins was, you know, and still is working at Wizards and does stuff with the, you know, game design and, and yeah, such. Yeah, one of the lead writers. So they played and they would get, um, 
you know, they would have guests every so often. Will Wheaton was a long running guest. He was sort of a semi-permanent one for a while. Um, and so essentially the whole joke, the whole shtick behind it was that they were uh, like a, an adventuring company. So they're, a, you know, an incorporated company. So they're, you know, so they always make jokes about like business things, right? And they're making mm-hmm. jokes potentially, you know, somewhat about the fact that they all work in business things and they're all, you know, pretty high up in a business structure. So they are making jokes about that kind of stuff. And they're always making like contracts. So they're, you know, doing different things like that. So then like Will comes on as a, an intern. I don't remember his character's name because I AFL. don't really care. Uh, <laughs> That's cool. And, and um, then after maybe even while he was still there, but for sure after he left, Patrick Rothfuss came on as a, as a guest. It really was just a full-time kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they've had some other regular guests. Um, they'll bring on Morgan Webb, from um attack did she host attack of the show yeah attack of the show and uh, on g4 just something else you know different things on g4 so she she's a regular guest mm-hmm. and recently they've had i just forgot that pro wrestlers guy uh xavier name. woods yeah they've had him on recently uh pretty frequently the last i don't know three or four maybe yeah but they bring on guests they'll bring on you know, sometimes celebrity, different like celebrity style guests just for one time things. Uh, they'll bring on if they don't really have a, maybe a guest who can make it. Uh, they'll bring in uh, members of the C team, which is their um, sort of a stream that Penny Arcade did, which is like essentially, a you know, one of the uh, franchises of Ack Inc. And um, so Jerry's the DM. And then it's um, for Penny Arcade employees. And now some of them are, I think they were always Penny Arcade employees. And now some yeah. of them work for Wizards as well. Yeah. And so, you know, so they'll do live shows as well, and they do a weekly stream. And I mean, that's pretty much it. So it so they all do different things. And then they they just, I don't know what year, last year, two years ago, 2019. So last year, um, they um, released a like campaign setting book. It was the first Wizards official, like, you know, official D&D book and, you know, a thing like that, that wasn't solely by Wizards. That was done with as a collaboration like with and really primarily by for the most part i think yeah. another entity in this case penny arcade um so it was the first time that like somebody else's thing like that has been incorporated but of course they've had a working relationship with them for years now yeah over 10 years yeah so so yeah. um so they've got that so it was the first you know it'd be like if wizards made matt mercer's stuff into you know put their, his, his stuff in another like into in cabinet. the next xanathar's got to everything put his classes you know or something like that right well uh, they, they have hit. done with the uh, uh explorer's guide to wild round in the latest the latest one in it but you're right like Ak Inc. Yeah. was the thing that paved the way and i think a lot it's interesting because i think in certainly for you and me we i i didn't get into Ak Inc. until i was watching critical role and high rollers I got from uh, Ryan. And then I started listening to Ak Inc. And it had been out for a couple of years by that point. And then, like you said, the thing that catches me about Ak Inc. is the, the silliness of the sort of the business model. Like, yeah, you, it makes sense. And I've said this before, that it makes sense. And in the Forgotten Realms, adventuring is a business. You are going to be hired. There's going to be all these protocols for it. And it actually makes a lot of sense. And also, it makes a lot of sense that this sort of middle management style, like, when you watch the shows or when you listen to the podcast and you listen to all sort of the, how they are playing it, you realize that these people are inept at leadership as much as they are inept at their stuff as well. And it, it, it plays for it and it is so fun to watch. And it has obviously grown this sort of big audience, you know, there's catchphrases. And now 
they're using Ack Inc. as a way to showcase material. So the launch yeah. of Eberron and Ravnica, I mean, obviously remaking and revamping those sessions. Yeah, that's kind of what it was, I mean, from the beginning after the fourth yeah. head. So the fourth head is really like sort of the podcast because they wanted to show people how to play it, which was great because, you know, you had somebody who hadn't played it before. You had people who hadn't played it before, right? And then you had, you know, you had even one or two people who had never played D&D. So you had, you know, it essentially was just a, hey, here's fourth edition, you know, get your, get a feel for it, see what it's like. And then, and then once they sort of transitioned, especially once they stopped having fourth edition, but, you know, but then after that, once they had sort of done the task of, you know, yeah. introducing fourth edition, then it transitioned to, hey, uh, we've got an upcoming module where they do this. And here's, you know, a little just couple hour thing in which it's, it's not really doesn't have anything to do with that story at all. So much as it's just set in the same place and has maybe one of the same people or something like that, you know, and there you go. This is what you can look forward to. Yeah, exactly um, like that. And and as a result, I think again, Penny Arcade. This is obviously way before Twitch and YouTube. Like being big on like showing stuff like this, and then realizing they could take advantage on like weekly Twitch streams and stuff. If you didn't already have like an original storyline, so obviously um, like Critical Role does. But yeah, so that was really interesting to see. And obviously, Wizards have their own streams and stuff. But actually, people that were quite big into the con industry, like I mean, that's the thing. I don't, I don't know how much it is now. But like weekly comic well, I mean, it's, strips it's, and stuff oh, were quite big. I thought yeah, you were talking about the con industry, and I was going to say, well, it's no. not because of COVID. So, no, know. yeah, yeah, no, that was obvious. But I'm thinking like comic, so like websites specifically for like daily comics and stuff, I don't know if that's as big anymore as it used to be. But obviously at the time, Penny Arcade was like, and is to an extent still one of the, the most popular sites. Yeah, I that's think, I it's think moved they're still going strong with comic stuff. I don't, maybe it's not, I, I know they still got some comics. I've seen some every so often. I know, I know uh, Mike, I think still has one that he's prim- at least one yes, uh, yeah. that is kind of still almost like the Akinks or he, every start he makes at least comics about the Akink people, Yeah, you know, I doing think. stuff. So just sort of moving on a little bit. So obviously, again, talks a lot about the sort of background to it, but again, I find it quite interesting to have this sort of idea which can be implemented in any campaign system. It doesn't have to necessarily be with the acting stuff, but going into the company position. So as we sort of alluded to, a franchise essentially is a, a party and they are given contracts from Acking head office to go out and do missions. And these can range from anything between sort of going to, to hunt monsters or to investigate something and then report back to head office with treasure or with the contract in hand, etc. Right. Well, they can also they can also go. They can be hired. They'll be hired by like local people and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, well. it, yeah, it's, it's not all just head office says no. go do this. Head office says go do this. It's so every so often maybe head office says go do this. Otherwise, it's a uh, go find your own adventures. Pay us your monthly fee. Yeah, exactly. Which again is so cool for it. I love it. And it was again this sort of thing came out more so in the C team uh, streams. Which again, I and I'm sure we'll both talk about this, but like, I highly recommend watching them because again, it's a very unique style of playing, and all the players on it are actually really entertaining to watch. So let's talk about these sort of company positions. So when you become a member of an acting franchise, there's sort of eight different positions uh, you can take. And what's interesting about these positions is that uh, you can only ever take one in a franchise. If you you transfer to another one, you lose the the first one you had. You gain it in addition. Uh, independent of your background, your classes, etc. So it's like another thing to add on, which I thought was quite interesting. It doesn't replace something. But also, again, another very corporate thing about it is that each individual uh, option, each individual position, you get obviously certain benefits with each one. 
but also pre-approved uh, tools which are given to you from head office, which are attuned to you and only you, and no one else in your franchise or, or anyone else in a different franchise but in the same position can use it. But as soon as you leave that franchise, you have to give it back to head office, <laughs> which again is like oh, another thing you hand in your stationery, you hand in your business cards, etc. But yeah, so I'll just quickly run through the eight different ones we have. So we've got cartographer, which is the sort of person that sort of navigates when your franchise is off on a mission, they sort of look at the terrain and stuff, so a bit of a navigator. You've got the decisionist, who is essentially the leader in quotation marks. They, if there is ever a vote in your franchise, they get the deciding vote, and then as you level up, you get more votes. Which they, I get was to great. they get they get the deciding vote in the case of a tie. In a tie, but then you've yeah. also got like they have a, a coin of decisionary, which I thought was great, <laughs> and also uh, absence votee. So if you have a vote in the decisionist's absence, they can come back and redo the vote, <laughs> which I thought was good. You've got the documenter who is the person in charge of uh, recording, getting the contracts, keeping them safe, making sure they are checked off through the letter and then reporting back to head office. You then had the hordes person, which again, I quite like this position because there's always one person in a party that has to have all the loot because they have the bag of holding or they have the haversack with the extra dimensional space. So that's the person who looks after all the equipment, all the treasure and stuff and keeps an inventory of that. And then you've got four slightly... I don't know if they're more advanced or per se, but they're more interesting ones which you probably could have. I'd say those first four are like the main ones certainly that you see in the C team, but also these other ones are sort of like in addition to. So if you have a party of eight, then each person could have a role. So the other four are Lawmonger, who is someone that records all sort of folklore or all sort of information and you can repeat it back or get that information sort of recorded history. Now, I can't pronounce this one. I've been trying, but is it Ovitor? Obviator. Obviator, who is a more of a tactician. They're sort of working out what, you know, trying to read the enemies and trying to sort of work the way, work it out. They deal with sort of alchemical stuff. Again, quite interesting. The occlant. It's occultant. occultant. So it's, it's occult and then A-N-T. Okay, occult. You just got to sound it out. Occultant. <laughs> occultant. Who, oh, occultant. Uh, thank you. You're so supportive. I know. It's why I'm such a great <laughs> fiancé. Occultant, who is someone that works out the karma of the individual deaths of the, the things you killed, whether that will impact on either themselves or the franchise or even headquarters, which I thought was quite good. And then the Secretariat, who is... Um, Secretarian. No, Secretarian. T at the end. You're thinking of Secretariat, the horse. Winner of, of the Triple Crown. And they are responsible for sort of the, the PR... So the marketing, doing all the jingle and all the sort of things that are very, again, corporate branding, which I absolutely love as well. You sort of briefly mentioned it earlier. In your campaign, which is Ack Inc. inspired or using the, the mission and stuff, like that, what are your players playing? What sort of the composition are they using? So out of my 10 players between the two campaigns that are Ack Inc., I have, I don't even know. Um, I don't think I have any decisionists. Oh, really? I have no cartographers. I did have a cartographer, but then he had to quit, but we gained another. They each, I mean, each one of them has a documenter. Yes. But that makes sense. I each think. one of them has a hordes person. One at least has a secretarian. I might even have a cartographer. I don't remember what the one. So the, the biggest problem is that some of them are really similar. Mm -hmm. And that you don't always use their stuff. So I don't always remember who's who. 
but out of the eight, I think I have five of them at least. Well, I, mu I must have six because I have one campaign with six people. So I have six. I don't have any decisionist. That's, uh, or, see, if, I... or if I do have a, a decisionist, then um, then they don't ever, the Sorry. group never takes votes or the vote never comes down to it. So for me, when I was looking through this list, I was like, the most obvious one you would have as obviously a, a documenter, because you'd need to have that connection with HQ. But then I thought, second of all, you would definitely need a decisionist, not necessarily because of the, the voting power or the, the symbol, but like it's the face of the group, right? I would assume that they, as the leader, would be the nah, ones my, doing stuff. So one of my groups, the bard, is sort of the face of the group, and sometimes the paladin, because uh, they have good charisma. Oh, and you know what? The bard is a secretarian. So, which, which could do it as well. And then in the other one, in my bigger group, was six people. The rogue is like the face of the group, and he's the secretarian. That group originally had it only five players. It had an odd number. Mm -hmm. And so, if you have an odd number, then you never have ties. And mm -hmm. so, That's the tiebreaker stuff isn't as important. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, because... Um, because essentially, you get the t the whole purpose behind the tiebreaker is your vote counts for two. So you, if there is a tie, your second vote is breaking it. Well, if you have an odd number of people, then if the vote is three to two and you're on the side of two, your second vote brings it to three to three. And so now you have a tie. You have a legitimate tie and your ability to get your second vote doesn't matter, right? So you'll never get a tie. So you'll never be breaking ties. The best case scenario is you'll be creating ties. So, right. you know, so like that's a huge part of it. I mean, it's only the one part. But that that is a you know pretty substantial part. Mm -hmm. You kind of just go, yeah. But I think the secretarian is is the one that gets the most sort of traction in my groups. Um, they do end up doing the most secretarian based stuff, and then the horse person does a lot with the horse person. Ultimately, mm -hmm. the first four especially are just like making a position out of an unofficial sort of role that you would normally have in your yes. traditional four person party. You know, especially back you know, when Jerry would have started playing, you know, and right now in Jerry's online, you know, in the C team, they don't really have like a map. He describes it. It's all theater of the mind. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're trying to do stuff and for them, it doesn't really matter. But if it was a, it was more old school, but it was a pretty like a sort of hardcore campaign, you know, somebody's job would be to draw the map of the dungeon that you're in, you know, because you need to know where stuff is. And now with like, you know, either using online tools or people having all these mats that they draw it out now that we really use a grid and stuff and use the minis and stuff. And it's not as much theater of the mind. You don't need to worry about it as much. Decision is, you know, somebody was always sort of the leader or sort of just said, oh, we have a tie. Well, I'm just going to start doing this. Documents the same thing. Somebody's always keeping notes. Horse mm -hmm. person, somebody's always keeping track of the loot and what do yeah. we have as a party or how we're we doing stuff. And then, and then, like, the other ones are almost sort of variants on those. Like, the lore mongers still really similar to the documenter in as so much as you are gathering information, right? It's just yeah. more, it's more about gathering information, but it's still similar as far as what, like, the sort of, you know, unofficial role would be. Obviator similar to decisionist, but it's more like combat oriented. Uh, Colton's kind of out there. It's a, it's a little different. Secretary is kind of like decisionist or kind of like documenter, I guess, more so. Yeah. But it's it's sort of a combination between that and decisionist where you might be like more the face of the party as well. But there's just sort of adding stuff and adding things to these unofficial roles that you would have in parties, you know. I agree with you completely. I think, yeah, the first four seem very standard, like everyone... We've all played that role at some point in the campaign, and the other ones can be in place of, except the occultant. The occultant, to me, it sounds like a, a great role. There's always someone that plays that and going, to, oh, but this is going to look really bad on us. We shouldn't kill them. It's going to look really bad, etc. And I, I quite like that as a sort of 
in again when I sort of imagine it as a sort of a, a corporate setting, it's a person who is the health and safety risk management s type person who's like uh worrying about like how be perceived and stuff. So I, I actually I do quite like that one, but I, I agree it feels maybe the less useful in terms of gameplay, but good in terms of roleplay. But I say this like all these positions all of their abilities and the the items they get they are mostly for flavor and so just going back to what you said about the cartographer the the cartographer has this detail of safe travel which is an ability to perform a 45 minute ritual using certain tools blah blah blah, blah. it ensures safe travel for you and your team from one location to another uh, within a day's journey and it has to be a location you have been to or have an accurate route of and what was cool about that one is that and with all of these roles, it kind of does say it a little bit at the beginning, but for this one specifically, it encourages the player to talk about what they did on their journey, what they faced and how they overcame it and stuff. And the DM can collaborate with it. And I quite like that with all these positions, it opens that opportunity to have that collaboration. So that's the thing with all DMs, when they create their own world or running their own world, the players are in it and they'll have an impact and there'll be consequences. But if the players can actually add to that world, almost like on a, a meta sort of Minecraft level, I like to think, like sort of, you get more engaged. And I, I quite like that as a sort of a, a nice theater of the mind technique. And obviously it, it's, it is limited because obviously it's within one day's travel and you have, to be, you have to have been to that location before or you have to have an accurate route, et cetera. You can't just be like, I'm just going to go to all these towns. But then later on, it expands to... Um, three days. To, yeah, three days, the greater tale of safe travel, which I quite liked as well. And yeah, so I, I quite like that as a, as a role. Because yeah, like you said, everyone, at least there's one person in the party who goes, I will do survivals checks to, to make sure you know, we can get past this difficult train and stuff. Is there one like, position that you, if you were in a campaign as a player, which I appreciate, as you said, you've not done for many, many years, um, is there one position where you'd be like, I'd like to play that? I don't know. I'd probably end up with Secretarian. They seem fun. What is it about Secretarians that you like? Oh, just hail corporate, baby. <laughs> hail corporate hail so yeah the, corporate. the se- secretarian is the focus on the people and the potential values and stuff oh yeah that's right you've got the um business cards i quite like yep. this where you essentially uh you give out business cards and they are like cards of sending people can contact you through them like sending stones they can contact to you uh to ask permissions and stuff but it only lasts for seven days before it gives out which i thought that again quite cool and you can only do it five times that's really cool because again, it's you could just be talking to an NPC and then as you go on, a new mission comes up. So that was pretty cool. The rumor mill is another good one, I think. Learn three rumors related to creatures or organizations involved in the mission you're currently on uh, that reflect the current or historical knowledge posed by Acquisitions Incorporated. But you don't know how true they are. That comes a little bit later where you can sort of work out which ones are false. Yeah, I think Secretariat's quite good. I think for me, I quite like I quite like Horde's person. I feel like any of the current characters I play would be a decisionist or would try and go for decisionist, but I don't think it would work. But if it was me playing in a new campaign that was specifically acting themed, I think Horseperson would be quite good. Mostly because I quite like how the flavor of the, sort of the living loot bag, or sorry, the living loot satchel is. It's got really nice descriptions about how it's different for each class. Like the barbarian has like lots of little bags coming off a big belt, <laughs> which I thought was quite cool. You get, there's a little bit one later on where you have uh, living the good life. So you can maintain a wealthy lifestyle at no cost because they 
I can't trust you because you're putting all the treasure and it's going to a secret vault somewhere. Uh, a little bit later on, you get Liaman's secret chest. So you can actually put stuff in that can fit into a chest size thing rather than a small bag. I quite like the, uh, the feature, that thing you need, where you have to do a DC 15 sleight of hand check to fish out an item of your choice that's somewhere on the adventuring gear table. So again, it's one of those sort of almost like MacGyver type things. You're like, I know exactly what I need to fix this problem or to get out of this situation. Yeah, I think Horde's Person would be my go-to. Is there anything that you, you're not particularly keen on or anything you would change or you have changed? I don't know. So, I mean, one of the big things, one, I learned really early on for um, if they do like the... Um, explorer territory or really any of the franchise tasks so so beyond the company positions the hacking book um has like a whole franchise task thing so you can have your um hirelings do stuff for you or you can do it and one of the one of the big things i learned really early on is anything that involves something that would like present anything that's like oh this presents a potentially a new like explorer territory can give you a new adventuring opportunity you know some sort of benefit some discovery um sometimes there are threats and that can like hurt your business and then you have to deal with them you get ones like uh what marketeering gets you um oh no not marketeering marketeering just lowers your monthly costs i think it's schmoozing is the one i'm thinking of that gives you yeah like you get more contacts you get different things uh but basically anything that require you to like oh they're gonna do this and then they're gonna learn something to go on an adventure with right what i learned really early on is what, what's gonna inevitably happen is they're gonna do it and then as soon as they make the roll like you're gonna say okay it takes one week which is 10 days in dnd and then you go okay they do this and then you go okay cool and then 10 in-game days later you go okay this is done Let's roll, let's find the result. And then you go, okay, cool. And then the first thing they're going to say is, well, I want to go on that adventure. And you're like, well, I don't have it prepared yet. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so what I learned pretty quickly is, uh, you know, anytime they do stuff like that is roll the result straight away. So then you have like one session to prepare. Yeah. Uh, but they might just do a, well, we just wait 10 days for this to get done because we have nothing else to do. You never know. Yeah. But like one of the things, one of the big things that can get, I don't want to say tedious, but it can, it can get, it can get interesting is um running the franchise so because especially at like early on it depends on what their headquarters is so like one of my groups had a tower headquarters but now they have an airship because the tower got destroyed so they acquired an airship they had a tower but like you know each of the franchise headquarters has a different monthly upkeep cost essentially how much that, that determines how much you owe to head office as your licensing fee and then as you gain higher levels you get new ranks that gets multiplied by by other values and goes up but for instance if you have a the one that i had which was um i called it a fortified tower no that's not true it was an old lighthouse so it was an old lighthouse so it was 250 monthly gold cost which means that they have to earn 250 gold a month minimum to pay acking but if the roll goes poorly they can owe more than that you know potentially like double and if they do like marketeering or explore territory, they discover these threats and that increases their costs more. All of a sudden they could owe, you know, like 750 gold for that month. But it didn't take them long because if you roll really well, you reduce your costs so much that you generate profit without having done anything. And so the, the roll is just a 1D100 plus all of the days that you, any character, and any employee, any staff member who can do the franchise tasks spent running it. 
So you get your major domo, and then you get at the very beginning one skilled hireling that you can hire as part of that's as part of your monthly cost. So that's just like free. So you're already paying that regardless. So they figured out pretty quickly that they could get their major domo and hire a skilled hireling because they're allowed one and just tell them you guys are doing running the franchise, which out of the 30 day month means they're going to get a plus 60 to the role, which means there's a really good chance. They have a over 50% chance to max out the role at the 91 plus scale, which means they're going to make a bunch of money. <laughs> and so they said, well, we don't need to worry about at the beginning. They said, we don't care about explore territory. We're doing this other stuff. We're kind of just doing our own area. We don't care about running these other franchise tasks. We could just make, we can make bank. We have guaranteed. I mean, like, you know, a 60, you know, the lowest they could get is a 61. And that gives you, your cost decreased by 100%. So essentially you break even, so you don't owe any money. So the worst they can do is just not make any money. All they have to do is get an 11 or higher to then be making money. Right. Right. So um, now they could only make like 125 gold a month off that. You know, they stopped it pretty early on. But like, depending on what you give them, you know, if you're going to do a kind of adventure where you're going to give them a bunch of gold, you know, where it's like they have they have to adventure a bunch to find a bunch of gold, but also... Because they have this huge upkeep. So you're going to basically have this constantly, this massive sums. Or, you know, so let's say they had something. They, let's say they had a, a, a small castle, which is 3,000 gold a month. Well, by the time you probably afford that, even once you become rank two, now you can get, which is just level five, you can get two skilled hirelings who can do franchise tasks. So that's your two skilled hirelings plus your major domo, all three of them running the franchise task for the whole month is 90, which means even if you roll a one, you're decreasing your monthly cost by 150%, which means you're making a 1500 gold profit every month guaranteed. Right. So like, that's the one thing is, is it didn't take my group long to figure out they were like, Oh, so if we just don't care right now until we get level five, because once you get level five, then you can do two tasks at once. So then they were like, well, if we don't care until we get level five about doing these other tasks, we can just guarantee that we don't lose money. And so then you're like, well, yeah, I guess. And there's nothing you could do about it because, I mean, you know, it's just sort of the way it is. Yeah. They're just like, yeah, we just, we don't care. Like, we've got this other stuff, you know. And then, and then you're just like, well, like, you could just, you know, just say, well, you don't find any adventuring to do because nobody wants to hire you. But like, then you're kind of just forcing, you know, you're kind of just being you're a dick railroading about it. them into doing it. Right. You doing know, it the, the joy you know, of, like, so, yeah. So it's like, it's yeah. like, you know. Yeah, so it's like if they if you just go well, you know, but then, but then they they don't, you don't even have to have a job. They can just go well. We just want to start wandering around, you know, like are there goblins in the area? Yeah, probably. Cool. We're just gonna go hunt goblins, I guess. Right? Like, cool. All right, let's go do it. Or oh, there's some ruins over there. Like, let's just go explore. And then you don't want to be like, ah, oh, there's nothing there. Like, maybe if you do something else, you can, you know, like explore a territory. You'll get you'll find information on stuff. Mm. But um, you know. It's so like it is. That's the one thing that can get abused a little bit. And and if you if you give them a, a palace or a large castle, which you probably would not give that to them, they would they would have to like buy it. Yeah, they have or, to earn know, that. Or, or yeah. it'd, be, it'd be way high up. Well, you could as like just a fun like you know essentially have them have like a money sink almost. But then mm -hmm. you get the same thing. That's like a twelve thousand gold a month thing. So if they can guarantee a fifty percent, they can guarantee six thousand gold. You know, a, a, a month. And that's the other thing is, is in theory you do that and you think about it. And you think about like the economy of D&D &D, and you go, well, if they had a way to guarantee that they could make 6,000 gold a month, you know, or even, even just 125, like 125 gold profit, they're covering all their cost of living and everything. You go, well, yeah, I mean, anybody would do that. Like, why would you ever adventure at that point? You're already 
making so much more money compared to like the average person in D D. you know the average just commoner villager that like why would you care for me i mean it's obviously i'm saying this as someone who hasn't played in a game with this i enjoyed all of them obviously i see them as jumping off points like you know you can obviously you can tweak them to your own things and i feel this is just me because i'm not used to these sort of things i feel like it'd be nice to have another level because it just feels like you get up to level four for me i've always been that sort of person but it's odd numbers are better so you either get to level three five or seven okay well we, we're gonna have to talk about that <laughs> i think we're gonna have to call it the engagement everybody knows that even numbers are better all right well that's not true there's it's an it's, actual it's absolutely of, true of having odd it's numbers absolutely true. Better. Best, ba- best basketball player in the nba Giannis we're not we're not having number 34 no, even number this is my podcast you're not allowed to talk about uh, basketball add another level in somewhere i feel like like obviously some of the benefits are either get abused or don't get used at all uh, and that i think it is up to the players it's, right so it's, it's like it's like the decision thing my it's really, it's really just my secretarians that use their stuff a lot everybody else nobody else really you none of my other players really use their stuff when i try to give them opportunities to do it but it's kind of just like they either forget about it or yeah. you know the hordes person does some a little bit in uh one of them the documenter does a little bit one of the documents i guess does does a decent amount yeah if they're just like, like yeah. well, I don't need it, whatever, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm a, what is one of the, you know, it's like, oh, I'm an occultant. No, it's, I'm just kidding. One of the, the one guy I was thinking of is an occult, not a secretarian. I don't think that group has a secretarian, you know, and he finally used like uh, the uh, read the kill thing, you know, which mm-hmm. is interesting and useful. But mm-hmm. like you get some that, it, you know, like this, the one secretarian uses his stuff all the time and then everyone else kind of sometimes uses it sometimes doesn't you know they don't use it a lot because um you know there'd be like just one guy who's a who's a hordes person just sort of used like really the only thing really the only one that he really uses i mean the living loot satchel you know he has it like you know whether he uses it or not they have it but he uses it but then like he uses the living the good life but just sort of every time they do the um buying a magic item downtime activity from xanathar's guide he uses that to try and explain what he doesn't have to pay to do the task because part of that is basically you're you're doing it you like you're paying money to live a wealthy lifestyle or whatever uh it's stuff he's like well i already have this so i shouldn't have to pay it all for this and i'm like no you still have to you're still like bribing people and stuff this is more than just a wealthy lifestyle that's just all part of it but yeah i think i think then for this and I don't know if this is controversial or not. I think, because you have already got, you know, the character, you've got your race and class, and then you've got your background and then other options and stuff. I wonder if you just remove the background completely, which looking at it right now, looking at the options and stuff, it really weakens your character, right? Because obviously your background, you get some proficiencies, you get some extra tools and stuff. Whereas if you replace it with these ones, you don't necessarily get... You get you get proficient you get proficiencies. You'll just get different ones. You get different ones, um, but like it, I feel like compared to like an actual background, these ones are, are flavorful. Like you use them for certain things. So like it's just one of those things where I think like you either have one or the other. And I think if you're playing an Act Inc game, you should just use a company position over your back. And and then I would say on top of that, I think then you'd have have an extra level. Yeah, so all the all the proficiencies here from the Akink one are basically just like additional tools. Uh, tools. And yeah, you don't you don't get but, skills. But you don't, you don't yeah, get skills. you don't get any skills. That's the big exactly. thing is like but uh and tools, you know, they can be useful, but 
you know, and it just depends on what the character's trying to do, you know, but like, you know, it's gonna, it's really gonna vary because like, um, if they go, hey, I'm just, you know, like, uh, so I don't know, it's like the documents or I think can basically gain stuff with proficiency with tools, like for, make forgeries and stuff. Right. But then if the group never tries to do that to solve a problem, you know, then it's whatever. I don't think that my campaigns are necessarily worse off for the people not really using them as much. No. They sort of take it up, and it talks about it in in the book. It that it takes it kind of for being like a, a a normal magic level campaign to like a, a sort of more higher magic level campaign. Mm. Um, so if you want, you know, if you want that sort of more high magic level thing, or some of these extra abilities can, you know make some things easier some social interactions or like the read the kill is, is essentially just like a yeah, it's, bardic it's supposed, inspiration to, style it's supposed thing. to provide more sort of collaborative like creative moments with the sort of like presenting but i think what maybe i would do then as well to sort of improve on it if, if i got rid of the backgrounds and used company positions i would say okay take cartographer for example they'll have proficiency in survival for, for tracking stuff and then uh, perception you know, basically take like, I don't know, some range of stuff or get them double proficiency in that. Like actually, you know, I, I just feel like, like you said, I, absolutely. Like I think having proficiency in skills from backgrounds is very helpful. So obviously that adds to your, your race and your, your class and stuff. But I think if I really wanted them to like use these tools, because that's, I've, I mean, I've been in, in, in sessions and I'm sure you have been too, Joe, when something's happened, there's a combat and you're just looking at your sheet for inspiration to help. And like you said, you're more if certainly in combat, you're mostly like, Oh, I can do great weapon master, I can rage, I can use uh cutting words, etc. 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 Right? But whereas these sort of things, they feel obviously most more social and more sort of like story aspect, which and I will say that obviously that is what Akink is. It is most definitely story-based over combat heavy video game based, absolutely. Yeah, it's, I guess it's encouraging people more to think that it's a way to play any RPG. So, I mean, I, I quite like it, but I agree. It, some of these ones, I was like, it has to be very specific to use these, these things. They're, they're fun. You've got to buy into your head. You're like, okay, this, this is a game where we are part of a franchise. The franchise is integral to our characters and not just so happens, oh, we're part of the franchise, if you see what I mean. So we've almost sort of come to the end. Um, do you have any sort of recommendations of similar things that have either sort of like company positions or, or sort of inspiring things that you think would work well for these sort of settings, other than the obvious of C team? Uh, I mean, probably not. It's pretty unique where it's like this whole thing about the business is like, you know, it's like sort of the whole joke stuff behind it. You don't really get that. I can't think of any books i'm sure there's like some tv shows or something that would be similar that i just don't watch but literally the only thing i could think of when looking at this is like you're looking for sort of like inspiration for how company office politics works would be just watching the u.s office which i appreciate it's not very original but thinking about if you wanted to have a decisionist who is a bit how can i put this uh Maybe not all there, but it's like it's a nice, positive person who's like trying to make things happen and like loves their work. You think of uh, uh, Michael, the, the leader of the office. There, uh, you've got uh, Dwight, uh, Jim. Uh, you know all, all these other sort of characters that you could base off certain positions, which I thought that'd be quite good to do as sort of inspiration for that. That's the, that's the only other thing I could come up with. Well, great. Thanks, Jay, for spending some time with me. I know you've got a very busy busy life with fancy alice i like watching acquisitions incorporated and i i really like this idea 
and implementing it into campaigns. So thank you for that. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Any sort of things that you're doing or anything you think actually you should check this yeah, out? You should you should all follow Fiona's Instagram and pester her to post more pictures of fancy Alice that I sent to her. Right. She does I sent her quite a lot of them mm-hmm. and um she doesn't post nearly enough of them. So you should all follow her on Instagram, which I mean is essentially just fancy Alice's Instagram account. Fiona manages it for her. <laughs> and you should you should all you should all follow that. Give that a follow. Uh, and then and then demand pictures of fancy Alice. She's right, got them. She's got access. She's just holding out. I'm just holding out. Give yeah. the give the people what they want. <laughs> well, uh, to finish off, my name's Fiona. I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, a twice monthly RPG one shot podcast. Run many many one shot stuff. Uh, Jacob has been on a couple of them. You were on the very first episode, which was Honey Heist, which was super fun. You've been on Adventure Skeletons, uh, Pugmire most recently, and of course you ran. The uh, the one shot end of year special, which was our engagement one shot, which is super great. <laughs> and it I like okay. it a lot. It, it was I mean, great. it could have had a, it could have had a better ending. I think. The, oh. I, think the, I think the answer was okay. I guess. No, it was fine. <laughs> I think it was it was okay. Fine. Okay, fine. Yeah. Thank you for that, and we will see you next time. Bye. Why, why would you end a podcast like that, Dave?